And the high road is not choosing between the good and the bad. Anybody can do that. You can do that without God. But the high road is choosing between the good and the best, and always choosing the best. Welcome back to the Baptist Friends Podcast with Dr. Clarence Sexton, where we gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. Good morning. Good to see all of you. Thank you for joining me today. You get awfully lonely here if you didn't come to say hello. Someone said, how long are you going to do this? I think as long as you'll put up with it. And, uh, you know, I started Crown College because so many people had influenced me. And then I just wanted to share the things that had been shared with me. And then um, we're just continuing, continuing. All of us has a, have a, uh, has a sphere of influence, and we need to use it for the Lord. You know, this is one of those days when I have so many things I want to say to you. I hope we can get through as much of it as possible. And uh, I want us to pray together here in just a moment. We're going to be in the book of Titus. And I want to show you something from the Word of God. So I hope you have the New Testament book of Titus, and something to write on, make notes on. I'll try to do all I can to encourage you. I'm sure glad you're here. I'll find out a little bit more about who's with us and how many of you are joining me, and we'll do that. Let's pray together, may we? Our Father, we thank Thee for this day, and we know it's a day when we can use our influence for Thee and for Thy glory. We thank Thee for those who have been used of Thee to influence us. Help us to do our very best, and we'll praise you and thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. I want to talk to you today about the pastor and his preparation. I do believe that there's a revival coming. I really believe that. Maybe the first fruits of that are already taking place. I don't know. That's for God to say, not me. But we're praying for the coming revival. And most people think when we have the revival that we have to have churches. Well, there's no doubt about that. But we really can't have the church God wants us to have unless we have the pastor for that church. I believe that's why our work training pastors and making the primacy of preaching a focus that God will be pleased with is why the devil attacks us. We are entering his, his domain, you know, and not foolish preaching, but the world considers the foolishness of preaching. Preaching has always blazed the trail. Preaching has always cranked the engine. Preaching has always been used of God to motivate people. Now, there's a lot of things I've collected through the years on preaching that I'd like to pass along to you, but you'd have to request them. I, I, I'd like to send all of you who would request, if, you, if you're making notes about things like this, um, the story of George Whitfield's preaching and how people rushed to hear him. Maybe you've read that article, maybe you haven't, but it's an article I could put up for you or send it to you or give you the address. Uh, basically, when we have things up, we have it up where? I'm sorry. Uh, I'd like for you to speak up so I could hear you. On whose Facebook? Clarence Sexton. That's my name, Clarence Sexton, Facebook. And then when we have preaching on uh, that we've done here and the sermons are where? Faith for the Family YouTube. Faith for the Family YouTube. You know, there is a, there's a, sometimes a, a fallacy in the Lord's work where people on the inside think everybody else knows everything they know. And so uh, we sometimes don't give all the information that we need to give. But 
let me say that I have outlined uh, messages for all of the book of Titus. I've given this to our people. They can read what sermons I'm going to preach through that book of the Bible. And then they can read the scripture text and be prepared to listen and keep this in their Bible. So I've gone through the book of Titus. That happens to be the book of the Bible I'm preaching in now. Someday I'd like to give you um, a list of all the different books of the Bible we preach through here. My goal is to give all of the word of God to this church, every bit of it. And that's what I'm trying to do. And I know the books I haven't preached through to our people. And, and I know what's available and what's not available. I'm trying to finish all that before God finishes with me. But we began with the, the first message to Titus, Titus 1, verse 1. And then the common faith, I enjoyed talking about that, the common faith in Titus chapter 1, verse 4. And then an exhortation to stay in Crete. And Crete really is a, a geographical location and a work God given Titus to do through the appointing of the apostle Paul to Titus. But stay there. And then a bishop must be. I'll deal with that today in Titus chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. And then Christians are, should the Christians, the Christians rather, are all liars. And uh, we've got all these things lined out. Our people have this. You may want to get a copy of it. We can put that up also on one of these websites. Where does where will all this be again? Um, Clarence Sexton's Facebook page. Clarence Sexton's Facebook page. Good. Very good. Well, I want you to look with me at the Bible, and we're going to talk about this. God called me to preach in 1967. Seems like a long time ago. And I never wanted to be anything but a pastor. Now, that's 50, 54 years ago. And lots of people gave me admonitions and, and asked me, you need water? And uh, people asked me to do certain things, and that is to preach the Bible. And I want to preach the Bible. May God guide us and help us, always staying in the Word of God. So when we come to the book of Titus, Paul is writing to Titus and encourages him. He says, to Titus, mine own son, verse 4, after the common faith. That's an interesting phrase to me. Uh, Paul wrote to Rome and called it the mutual faith. And there are other terminologies that we find here for this faith, the common faith. And then he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. That's verse 5 of chapter 1. Now, immediately he talks about the things that we should find in an elder or a bishop or a pastor. Remember that we're dealing with the same office, the elder, bishop, pastor, different terminologies describing his work, but those terms are all used for the same office. I, I hold that office as a pastor. And so immediately he says in verse six, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gangsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they 
of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching them, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. So these verses, chapter 6, chapter, chapter 1, verses 6 to 11, uh, these, these verses give us what God says we ought to find in a bishop, in an elder, in a pastor. And I want us to look at it, let God speak to our hearts about it. I hope that you'll go online and listen to the sermon I preached. And uh, the fact of the matter is, a lot more things are dealt with in that sermon than I'll deal with here because I was working to speak to our church to help our, our church see what they should expect of a pastor. Someday I said, you may be called upon. I don't think that'll happen because I believe the Lord's coming, but you may be called and he's coming any moment. It's coming soon. But I say you may be called upon because the responsibility of the entire church is to seek God for the man of God who should be leading the church. I've been here in this place for 33 years and they've gotten sort of used to that. But this is what God's word says. So let's look at it together. Would you follow along, please? Uh, he begins by saying, if, if any be blameless, now he's talking on the hills of being an elder, blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. Now notice the task that Titus has is to set in order the things that are wanting and the conjunction and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Now, there's two basic things that Titus has to do. He has to sit in order. The word has to do with the same word a medical person would use to set a bone in order, a broken bone. That can be a very painful process, but to set it in order. And in chapter 3, the Bible says in verse 9, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law for they are unprofitable and vain. So there is the work of setting in order and then also the work of avoiding. And many of us avoid the things we should set in order and we attempt to set in order the things we should be avoiding. I think there's some obvious things here and the obvious things are that we get involved in so many personal things and people's personal problems, but our responsibility has more to do with setting in order the things in the church. And if we get things in order there, then the people are able to deal with these things. So there is an order. If somebody said to you, what is a local church? Do you give them a definition? Is it a group of baptized believers who voluntarily join themselves together to carry out the Great Commission? Is it? And then what should the church consist of? When you're starting a church, what are the goals and objectives? So I, I want this to be in our hearts. I want the people in this room, men and women, to be on board with this, to be people who understand this, who live this. It's the fabric of their being because God only has one way of doing his work, one way. And it's through the local church. He doesn't have any other way. And he has one way in a local church, and that is a pastor leading it. So this is a serious matter. Uh, and may God guide us and help us all the way through. So uh, let's just take it word for word what he says here. Blameless. Blameless. He repeats the subject of blameless. What does it mean to be blameless? You have a good standing in your community with your, with your people. Now, remember that he's in Crete, and the Bible says in the 12th verse of the same chapter that they're all liars. Can you imagine? 
we often say that uh, that that particular person in the analogy of lumber that's a that's that's good lumber you can't build uh, walnut furniture out of knotty pine wood and sometimes you don't have much to work with well and according to what the bible says here about crete and the, the word of god says um, in verse 12 one of themselves even a prophet of their own said the cretians are always liars evil beasts slow bellies so this tells you the the, the life-changing work of the gospel and uh, so paul said to titus i want you to go to these people who are always liars who are evil beasts and slow bellies given the appetites and i want you to find people that can be ordained as elders and pastors and bishops in every city it doesn't tell you that much about titus work though it gives some description but it tells you what god can do to change a person's life you and i need to see the possibilities i know through the years i've seen people i didn't think would amount to much in our churches but who came through for god in shining colors i mean they just absolutely stood out for the lord and then i've seen people i thought they'll be great they'll be wonderful they'll be the people that will get the great things done and they just were the biggest flops ever were so i i think sometimes we confuse spirituality with personality you may want to make yourself a note about that because it's a pitfall we all get into spirituality and personality you may like someone you may like their personality you may think this is a a very capable person but the fact of the matter is um it's it's not the personality it's the spirituality their hunger their heart for god that's what you're looking for do they have a hunger and a heart for god now there's a reason God starts where he starts in a matter. And he says for the bishop, for the pastor, for the shepherd, for the elder, he must be blameless. It must be a person of integrity, blameless. And then he talks about other, other things. He says, not only blameless, but the husband of one wife. Now there's difference of opinion about this. I'm, I'm sorry if this offends you. I believe everybody ought to be given the opportunity to serve the Lord. But some people can disqualify themselves for the pastorate by their home life, by their marriage. I know many people, and some historically, blessed and used of God, that we, we, they, we hold them as men of renown who had marriage problems. And God used them in a mighty way. I wouldn't mention any of them if they're not dead uh, and lived long ago. But Dr. Robertson used to tell me about stories about people like Harry Ironside. Harry Ironside had a terrible marriage, a terrible marriage. When his wife finally died, he married his nurse. And uh, Ironside was a great preacher, mildly used of God, but a very poor marriage. And if you know the history of John Wesley, you know that Wesley wanted to marry a certain woman and his family thought she wasn't good enough for him and uh, they hid the whole situation hid her from him so he couldn't get to her couldn't marry her and then he married a witch of a woman to their approval uh there are stories about people coming to wesley's home to talk to him to see him and found him in the house his wife was dragging him through the house by the hair of the head Wesley was only four feet, 11 inches tall and a very slight built man, but a mighty man for God. I remember when W.A. Crystal was preaching on the subject of broken things. And he told the story to illustrate his message about Wesley and Wesley's mighty ministry and how God used Wesley in revival. And then he told the story about someone seeing Wesley's wife drag him, drag him, actually drag him through the house by the hair of the head. 
and had a horrible marriage. When she finally left, he said to his friends, she's gone and I'm not going after her. I'm saying that to you not to make an example of that, but to say, be careful how you speak. God can use who he chooses to use. It's not ideal sometimes. And your ministry can be hurt and hurt terribly by the wrong relationship in your home. But God still manages to use people we never thought could be used. And so, blameless, the husband of one wife, and you, you must let that come down where you, you believe God will lead you there. And then he says, having faithful children. And I believe when children are young in the home, um, they ought to be under control. By that, I mean guided the right way. And children can wreck their lives and wreck, the, wreck their families. But it's important. And God says, he, we're looking at the children here, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. Now, when your children get grown and gone, there's very little you can do about that. And I've seen people... Uh, seen people get very hard on pastors over their children. But if you've lived to raise children, you know there's seasons of difficulty in every child's life and development, seasons that are difficult in every child's life. Be patient with the pastor and his wife. Let them work on those children. And uh, there are no perfect situations. Everybody has a beautiful family when the kids are under 10 years old. Everybody. If they don't, man, there is something bad wrong, isn't there? Badly wrong. So um, here, here the man of God is seeking for men who can pastor a church. And that's why we don't want to lay our hands on a novice. And he continues with these personal things. For a bishop must be blameless. There we have that word again. It was very important for them to understand this. So your, your, your character, reputation, your integrity is everything. It counts for everything. Forthrightness, truth, truthfulness, that type of thing. For a bishop must be blameless. And I love this expression. Must be blameless as, as the steward of God. That's the standard. You're the steward of God. We're stewards of things. Sometimes we think we're the owners, but we're not. We're the stewards. Some people say, I, that's my house. Well, you're the steward of it this time, but somebody may have lived it before you live in it, and they'll live in it after you're gone. That's my car. Well, that, that might be true, but you're, you're the steward of it. And we use those possessive pronouns sometimes. That's my wife. And that's, that's true. That's my family. That's true. But, you know, I think we ought to get another sense about this stewardship. And you're the steward of God. God has put things in my hands. God has given me opportunity. The Lord's allowed me these moments. And that's something that the pastor needs to get. He says, as the steward of God. And then he gives these knots and he makes a list of them. These negative things. Notice, please, there's a list of them. There are five negatives. Not self-willed. If you find somebody who's always got to have his way, especially if he gets to the point where he, he almost speaks like he's God, it's all got to be his way. Self-willed. Can't be corrected on anything. Nobody really can tell him anything. He's self-willed. That man would be a dangerous person to have as a pastor. Then it says, not soon angry. Many of us have battled this, and I've battled this. This is a besetting sin for me because I, I'm like a gas stove. I can turn from, from low to high in a, in a moment. And so I've had to understand my life. My wife has helped me so many times by saying, don't make that phone call now. 
Don't don't call them till you've cooled off. You you need and you know Jefferson even Thomas Jefferson said when he was angry he counted to ten before he spoke. And there are other rules that people like that had, but you can't you can't be soon angry and be a fit pastor. And sometimes you get in the pulpit and it's not preaching it's just a demonstration of flesh. You're mad about something and you take it out on someone that has to be guarded against. And then the Bible says, not given to wine. Now I hate liquor. I truly hate it as a beverage. I hate it because I grew up in a bar and I've seen the worst behavior possible out of human beings who've been intoxicated. There's nothing to me any worse than a drunken woman and who doesn't, doesn't think like she should be thinking about her own decency and appearance. And, uh, and so here the bishop, pastor, elder is told have nothing to do with it. That's what God says here, not given to wine. Then no striker, no striker. And I take that just to mean that you don't settle issues with physical things. You don't do it. You just don't do it. If you're mad enough to fight, get away. Don't, don't ruin your life, the life of someone else, and bring reproach upon your church and your people in a moment of anger by striking someone, or you could even strike something. I've seen men run their fists through walls who are pastors, and no place for that. No place for it. You see, when we're out of control, it's obvious that we're not under God's control. And so God warns against that, no striker. And then he says, not given a filthy lucre. And this, this deserves some discussion. Now, you may have done any way you want to do it. Uh, I've never talked to a church about what they're going to pay me. Never. I don't want them to get the idea I come there to be paid. If, they, if they're doing what they ought to do, they'll take care of God's man. Uh, when I started out as a Southern Baptist pastor, they were very big into that, taking care of the preacher. As a matter of fact, I, I joined, uh, like all the men I knew, in the, the fund they had for pastors. When I came out of the convention in 1975, I gave up all of that. They said, you would have been the highest paid retiring pastor in the entire Southern Baptist convention. But I didn't think about that. Perhaps I should have thought more about it, but I, I, didn't, I didn't make that a qualifying thing. I remember when I went to the Madison Avenue Baptist, Madison Avenue Baptist Church in Patterson, New Jersey, they said, what do you want to make? And I, I, I wrote on the paper on that question, Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory, all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And God's already taken care of us. He's always taken care of us. And you don't, you don't get paid to pastor. They pay you, but not to preach and pastor. They pay you so you can give yourself to pastoring and preaching, and you're not encumbered by everything else. And sometimes churches just need to be taught that. Uh, in other words, I say to our people, don't, don't say that you're paying me to preach. What is that, a $19 sermon or a $39 sermon or, or a $59 sermon? Or maybe that one just comes to a little pocket change. As a poor one, all of us fire blanks sometimes, and more times than than maybe people think we think we did bad or badly preaching, but we can't make filthy lucre one of the standards or money the standards for being a pastor. Can't do it. Now those are the negatives, and then he gets to the positive things in verse eight but must be a lover of hospitality. Now, every preacher I know likes being alone and likes solitude, alone with God. But God says we must be given to this, a lover of hospitality, a lover of hospitality, loving people, encouraging people, helping people. It's, it's in the DNA, as we might say, in a pastor's life and heart, a lover of hospitality and then a, a lover of good men we can keep some of those folks up there from time to time okay good 
I think you're being a little too worried about all of it, you know? Click, 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 you know, that's just too much. Very good. And um, so a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men. Who are your men of your company? I'm talking about who accompanies you. Who, who are the people you hang around with? Iron sharp with iron. That's very important. Very, very important. And uh, I don't like to hang around down in the mouth people. I've got to protect myself. I don't want to constantly be discouraged by somebody. I don't like to hang around negative people. I want to keep a good attitude. The biggest enemy I've got is me. And uh, I said one time to Dr. Robertson, just on the spur of the moment, we were talking about lots of things. And Dr. Robertson was a great motivating preacher and pastor. I said, what's your biggest problem? He said, I am just like that. He said, I'm my biggest problem. You see, the temptation is to think somebody else is. And uh, I'm a particular person. I want things done right. Sometimes that becomes a negative. And I don't want it to be. I, I have foresight about things. That's part of the bishop overseer. And you, you imagine some people more than others, but you imagine what could go wrong. But you can not only be a blessing to good people, good people can be a blessing to you. And don't, don't make an overbearing thing out of it. Too much good hanging around to the point that there's no edge left. You can be so much of a buddy, you can't do anything good to help somebody. And uh, pastors have to learn that they can't be the best buddies of somebody. That's what I think. You might have a, another pastor as a best friend or something. But, you know, I'm thinking while I'm talking to you that there must be a lot of discernment expected out of someone looking for preachers. Uh, Paul was already high on Titus. He had been a great help in Corinth, and now he sends him on this mission to Crete. And I believe that he knew that Titus would have the discernment and the Holy Spirit would lead him and he could follow the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would be confirming things to Titus. And as he was a watchful man and he would see people and sometimes something was called his attention and he thought that man may be the man that needs to be leading this church. But he, he spells these things out, and I'm glad he does. So he says, a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, sober-minded. My mind goes to alcohol and the abuse of alcohol when I think about this. But, you know, you can be intoxicated with yourself. You can be intoxicated with your own pride. Um, you can lack sobriety because your mind is filled with too much amusement. And we, we are definitely into too much amusement. Muse has to do with thinking. And the prefix A, like amusement, has to do with no thinking. And the devil's business is to get us so amused we don't really think. And you can't be sober when you're not thinking. You're just so amused. You don't have to stay entertained night and day. Uh, and so guard against that. Be sober. And then the word of God says, not only that we ought to be sober, but be just. Your people need to say of the pastor, I know he will do the right thing. When I was preaching this to our people, I said, some of these people who have been here just a little while uh, and suspicious of the pastor, I said, some of you who are here in this audience, have been here all these years and have watched me. You tell some of these Johnny-come-latelys that they can trust their pastor. If you believe it, tell them. I've made decisions that have hurt me. I've made decisions that were heartbreaking decisions because they were the right thing to do. 
and uh, you, you find yourself under pressure, you find yourself in a tough place, and you ought to be a just man. It's, it's difficulty that tests the man. You see, there's no real strong Christian character without hardship. Difficulty born in the spirit of Jesus Christ builds strong Christians. And it's either something you have or you don't have. And God says, the man of God must be just, not only just, holy, holy. The fact of the matter is, that's a word nobody wants to use today. But we ought to be holy. The man of God should be holy. And God says, be ye holy, for I am holy. And so don't, don't fear holiness, desire holiness. And then he says, also, temperate. Temperate. I imagine that means more than being under control. But at least it means that. Temperate. Uh, Moody said that every man needs some temper so he can be moved with righteous indignation against things, against things that are wrong. But Moody's way of explaining that was and he was a powerful man. He said, it's like current in a water. If the current is too, too strong, it's dangerous. And if it's not strong at all, if there's nothing there, it's stagnant. That was his homespun way of explaining it. And I think it's a good one. But he says, be temperate, temperate. Now, that control has to come from God and the enabling of the Holy Spirit. But these are things the Lord says ought to be in the life of a pastor. And then he goes on and he says, holding, holding fast the faithful word as he's been taught. You know, one thing you want to see is, is a consistency in someone. I have been over half a century a fundamentalist. Now, I want to say that again because some of you need to hear this. I have been over 50 years a fundamentalist, but you let me define fundamentalism. I don't want some of this half-baked stuff that people have burnt on one side and raw on another. But if you make fundamentalism synonymous with biblical Christianity, I say, amen, hallelujah, that's what I am. What I believe should be synonymous or the same as biblical Christianity. And I've tried to stay the course. We live in a changing world, changing ministry. I was terribly hurt the other day when I heard about a certain pastor who's changed everything he once preached. And it couldn't have all been bad, but now he's changed everything. Well, churches don't need leaders who are believing one thing one week and coming back with a different thing the next week. I'm a whosoever will man. I mean by that, that we give the gospel to all people. And I know I'm repeating myself sometimes, and I do it for, on purpose because there may be someone listening now that has the wrong idea. I believe the gospel is for all people and we give the gospel to everyone and we make this offer of salvation to all people. And if you heard me preaching 50 years ago, that's what I was doing. If you heard me preaching yesterday or Sunday or the next Sunday, you'll hear that's what I'm doing. Now, God's word says, that we ought to hold fast, hold fast, and don't let go, hold fast the faithful word as he's been taught. Titus was training these people, putting his life into it. And as he poured his life into them, he wanted to see them standing. When Paul wrote the church of Thessalonica, he said, we live if you stand. And there are people that have influenced me 
that are still alive, even though they've been in heaven for a long time, they're still alive because I'm still believing what they taught me and standing with it. And may God guide us and help us. Then he goes on. That he may be able by sound doctrine. So what is our doctrine? Sound doctrine. The word sound has to do with being thorough. It's not like Swiss cheese with holes all in it. It's thorough. It's not half-baked. It's sound. It's healthy. It's whole. You've got it. What you believe and teach is sound doctrine. Both to exhort, as to encourage, and to convince the gainsayers. So it does two things. It exhorts, and it convinces the gainsayers. You see, the pastor has a, a dual responsibility to minister his, to his people in his church, to minister to his own people in his church. They ought to say sometimes, boy, I'm growing in the Lord, and I thank God that the pastor is feeding me the word of God, and I'm growing in the Lord. But he also has the responsibility to fight off the devil and to fight off the wolves, to fight off the enemies. And you use this to do that. So he has this sound doctrine to exhort and to convince the gainsayer. I wish you'd do a little research on that word gainsayer. Gainsayer. What is a gainsayer? They, they've got to deny what is established. They've got, they're in love with themselves and have to be right. They have to know more than you know. They've heard from heaven since you have. And you're going to have to deal with all of your life. If you're a preacher, all of your life, there's somebody who's got a hold of something. They heard somebody say something, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you what brother so-and-so said, or I'll tell you what they do at that church. Well, if, you're, if your ground is Bible ground, stand your ground. You don't have to have a bad spirit about it, but the gangsayers are never going to stop. They're never going to stop. And they're always going to top what you're doing. For there are many unruly and vain talkers. Many unruly. How in the world do you have all this to deal with in a church? There are many unruly. I know I pastored the Madison Avenue Baptist Church in Patterson, New Jersey. I've loved every church I've ever pastored. And uh, in Greenback, Tennessee, they had a church a pastor almost every year. And they'd existed for a number of years when I went there. And I stayed at that time longer than anyone had stayed. And in Lenore City, Tennessee, at the Calvary Baptist Church, I love those people, love them to this day. They had a man who'd been there 21 years as the pastor. He retired and I came. His claim to fame was he didn't, he didn't believe that Jesus had to be born of a virgin. Now, I couldn't believe that. Now, he believed he was born of a virgin, but didn't have to be born of a virgin. He got on that hobby horse and stayed on his whole life. And it weakened the church. It just weakened the church. It became the, it became the, the signpost for that church. And it was not right. It wasn't good. And they had the work cut out for me. Someone said to me, and I make a joke out of this, but someone said to me, a young preacher said, an older preacher actually said to me, when you find a church, it's a good church with no problems, I'd like for you to recommend me to it. I said, I won't do any such thing. When I find one like that, I'm going to take it myself. You know, uh, you guys know what I'm talking about. No, there are no churches without problems. There are none. And pastoring a church is working through those problems, working through those problems with the word of God, standing the ground, helping people, clinging to the Lord, and moving forward here. And that's what God's talking about. Remember these slow bellies, fierce people in Crete were going to be difficult to deal with. And when Titus knew they'd be difficult with which to deal, he knew that they had to be trained in the word of God to convince them he's unruly, Vain talkers. What's a vain talker? They just yap, 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 yap all the time. 
uh, he warns in chapter 3, verse 9, we'll get to that in our study with our people. You won't get to it with me. But he warns there that uh, everything they're saying doesn't need answering. Some pastors think they've got to give an answer to everything. One of the signs of maturity is being quiet. And a novice preacher runs quickly and tries to take care of everything imaginable. But when he's not a novice, sometimes he just lets them talk and, and just make fools out of themselves. And you don't have to answer everything. And so uh, they're talkers, vain talkers, and deceivers. Now, I said this. When you've got a hypocrite and a deceiver with which to deal, I said to our church on the Lord's Day when I preached on this, I said, now look, I'd rather have a slobbering drunk as a member of our church than a hypocrite and deceiver. The hypocrite and deceiver will do more harm than the slobbering drunk will do. Now, I'd rather not have either one of them, but the fact of the matter is I'd rather have the drunk than some gossip and deceiver. Now, these are things Paul is writing to Titus that qualify the preacher. And he says, let me read the 10th verse again. For there are many unruly, vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. So these Jews who felt like they were better than everybody else. Now, we may not have Jews in our churches like that, but we've got some people that think they really, they really never sin. Honestly, I'm thinking about two or three of them now when I mention that. Lord have mercy. They got no mercy. They have no mercy. I said to them, you must have never been forgiven of anything because you don't have any idea about how to forgive anybody else. But we, we who know we've been forgiven have forgiveness in our heart because we know what Christ has forgiven in us. And sometimes the pastor the pastor doesn't, doesn't come across like a man who has any mercy. And I know I've been criticized for this, but if you, if you err, err on the side of mercy. As a preacher, as a pastor, as an elder, as a bishop, err on the side of mercy. We live in a world of hurting people, confused, mixed up families, compounded confusion, err on the side of mercy. I'm amazed here. I'm just amazed at how God puts all these things out there as qualifications for the pastor. And we get flipping about it. Well, he's a nice looking guy who can speak well. Watch out. What does he believe? What does he embody? I've known many men who were outstanding speakers who were poor Christians, but who were pastors. Oh, may God help us. And may God give us mature churches to know the difference. And the Bible concludes in this little section here with verse 11, whose mouths must be stopped. Think about that. Can you imagine God saying such a thing? I, I, was never, I was never permitted to say as a child growing up, shut up. I couldn't say that word. Some way or another, my mother just said that was the worst thing I could say. And I, to this day, I don't like to hear anybody say, shut up. Any of you ever had a mother like that? You just don't say it. You can say, be quiet, or I wish you wouldn't say that. But my mother wouldn't permit us. And I, to this day, I'm, I didn't permit it in my children. I don't permit it my Wife, I don't permit it in my family. We just don't say that. But God said, whose mouths must be stopped. How do you stop someone's mouth? The pastor. Why must they be stopped? Because they subvert whole houses. Teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. There are people who tear up entire families by running in their mouth. And our great weapon is 
to use the truth of the Word of God in the power of God's Holy Spirit as a minister. Many a church has gone beyond whatever anyone might have expected them to do because they had a faithful man of God leading them who believed God, and God blessed that man's ministry. He blessed his ministry. And I know many a church, on the other hand, who've had every possibility. They've had buildings, location, money. They've had everything except the blessing of God because they didn't have God's man at the helm leading them. You see, some people can't pastor and won't let anybody else pastor. They can't lead, won't anybody else lead. All of us need a new emphasis in our churches about the responsibility God's given a pastor. And this must precede the mighty revival God wants to give. Oh, may God help us. And you know, I said to you many times, you can preach your way out of trouble, problems, but you can't be a smart aleck and do it. You'd be a humble man of God, preach your way out of it. Never underestimate the power of the pulpit. And you have that pulpit, not to abuse, but to use to teach and preach the word of God. Someone asked me in the questions you sent, what good books could I recommend? I, I want you to have my, I want you to have my uh, pastors and Christian workers book list. But uh, we recommend Martin, Martin Lloyd-Jones book on preaching and preachers. Now, some of you won't agree with everything about Martin Lloyd-Jones, but you'll learn a lot. Um, it may be too wordy for you, but Spurgeon's lectures to my students, I've recommended for years. I read it. I've reread certain parts of it. The, minister, the preacher's fainting fits, his fainting fits. Oh, Spurgeon hit the nail on the head there. And the preacher's fainting fits. And also the use of some, some preachers change their, their vocal tone when they preach. Spurgeon did not do that. He was one of the few men in his era who preached the way he preached with extended conversation, yet with more energy. And then uh, J.C. Ryle has a book on the simplicity in preaching. Campbell Morgan has a wonderful little book on preaching. You can find it. It's just a tiny little thing, but brother, it's powerful. And then... Uh, on the preparation and delivery of sermons, John Broadus was a, a standard help for preachers for years and years. I mean, God guide us. Other questions are, I appreciate your book recommendations so much. Uh, what books on preaching? That's I just answered. What kind of education do you recommend a pastor pursue? Well, a call, a call is a call to prepare. You never finish your preparation. If you can finish a terminal degree, in a good place, get it, get it. It'll keep your mind sharp, keep you moving. I was talking to Jerry Vines on the phone the other day. He's 86 years old, I believe, and he just finished a PhD. And I thought to myself, he said, I know Clarence. He said, I know it sounds silly for someone like me, but he said, I felt like my mind needed some discipline and I enrolled in this and he finished it. What is Crown College doing in dark days to encounter, encourage students, pastors, and pioneering works? Launching out there, getting out there. I want you to write down the dates for our Baptist friends and uh, that God will use it in your life. October 17th through the 21st. Brother, we're going to pull out all the stops and our particular burden is for America. And then... May the, may the Lord help us. I have these special days on Sundays in, in the summer that our people put together in this bulletin. If you want to send, send a copy of it, can we put this bulletin up somewhere? Yes. And then get all of it. Good. We ought to post that Sunday bulletin anyway, I think, so some people can get it. How do you deal with a pastor that is not doing what a pastor should do? Pray for him. 
Become his friend so you can talk to him. Some people, after all these years, never speak to me until they're aggravated about something. I know when they're coming. They're coming because they're aggravated about something. They've never developed any kind of relationship with me where I'd be glad to see them coming. You know, they're just one of me and there's hundreds and hundreds of them. They'll work at it. So befriend your pastor so you can be a friend to him and help him. So I'm trying not to be judgmental, the writer writes, but his actions seem contrary to what the word of God says a pastor must do. I love my church and do not want to cause division, but also feel compelled to say or do something. Well, it's hard to love your church and not love your pastor. You might not agree with your pastor, but you, you ought to love him. Be a friend. Now, you know, you love your children. You may not always agree with them. They love you, may not, always, may not always agree with you. We have to be able to get the relationship where it ought to be so we can communicate with one another. And I hope you'll do that. We, we've got to see our churches strengthened. And there are many things that will do that, a handful of things that are absolute must. We could talk about that sometime. But having the right pastor is so vital to this. Churches are weak when pastors are weak, and lots of excuses are made. But we need to follow these qualifications, and many more uh, given to us in the Word of God. But these are given clearly in this list. Uh, Titus was to stay in Crete till this mission was accomplished. If a church has trustees instead of deacons, should they be expected to follow the same expectations? Well, if you don't have deacons, who does have that responsibility? Sure. If a lay person knows that one of them has a teen who's cross-dressing and out of control, that gets a little too personal for me uh, because somebody might be able to identify that, uh, that person. You, you, again, you have to be able to talk to that. That's one of the great issues we face at this moment, this whole sexual perversion one of the great issues that we face and may God guide us. And the answer to it is the truth, the foundation and function of the family embedded, embedded in that, in what God's word says, embedded in it are the answers to what we're dealing with. And so don't try to pitch yourself against them. You know, you're right and they're wrong. No, 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 no. You're agreeing with God and God's word. God's word is right and everything else is wrong. Let God be true and every man a liar. But that's where you're standing. You don't, you don't just have to say, you don't have to say, well, this is what I believe, this is what I believe. No, this is what God teaches. That's much stronger than what you believe. I hope you believe it because God teaches it and God says it. But don't put yourself up as the man who's going to fight everything and everybody. Just give them what God says. I said to one of our young preachers the other day, he came to me, made a complimentary statement about my preaching. And I said, son, I learned a long time ago, I don't have a message. Oh, we have a life message we embody, but God has the message in his word. We just declare it. And the more we can just preach what God says and put the emphasis where God puts the emphasis, the better off it's going to be because it's his word that will not return void. Our words may return void, but his words will not return void. He'll accomplish what God intends for it to accomplish. Such a joy to be with you. It really is. I wish I could do better, and I want to encourage you. But you're a preacher, amen? And if you're a pastor, that's the best of the being a preacher. And pastoral preaching is different from other preaching because you're loving the people, leading the people, and guiding the people, warning the people. You're their shepherd, and the shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Thank you for joining me today. Please pray for me. God bless you. We love you. Father, guide us and help us now. Help us to just get in your word. Let your word get in us. Help us to live your word and teach your word to others. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Baptist Friends Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. And join us next time as we continue to gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism.